Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day, scholars, and welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. I'm this week's host, Dom Philp, on the mic. Not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you free of charge most weeks on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts from. Best way for you to support is to rate, review, subscribe, the holy tricolon. Hey, maybe you found us on Twitter. Probably pretty likely. There's, what's the technical term, Ross? Shitloads of followers over there. It's WSBFUN on Twitter. Why don't you tweet this out? Hey, it's probably less likely you found us on Instagram. Uh, it's at Wrestling Should Be Fun over there. Why don't you have us your Insta story? Or why don't you write a letter to your nan or ring your mum or act this out in plays on a balcony for your family and friends? Most importantly, though, sit back, relax, enjoy this because we have got a very special guest. That's right. It's Ross the Boss Casey. Ross, how are you? Oh, what a build up. I'm one of that down. <laughs> no, mate, uh, this is 100% uh, our most special episode ever. We have got an absolute superstar. I use that term on purpose, pardon the pun. This is former ICW champion, former Progress champion, and former WWE NXT tag team champion. It's the Beast of Belfast, Big Damon! Cracking, all right. What a what a cracking intro there. I was I was getting I was starting to mark out about you being the Australian fucking Goldilocks there a second ago, like, and then you're giving me that. So, no, I appreciate it. Thank you, boys. Thanks for having me. Mate, you're very welcome. I honestly, I I can't tell you how great it is to have you and have your company. I think Ross, like you, weren't you playing a game today on the Twitter or something that you wanted to talk about? Yeah. So, um, before we get into the real meat and potatoes of your life and your career moving forward and in the past, demo. The engagement piece on Twitter today has been ruining a wrestler by changing one letter of their name. We've had so many good ones. We've had Virgin for Virgil. We've had Nikki Ass for Nick, <laughs> for Nikki S H. We've had Big Damp. Good time for that stuff. Big Damp. <laughs> Big Damp. Real problem. Uh, real problem during the winter. Yep. <laughs> We've had Barista for Batista. So, <laughs> so if any come into your brain, feel free to just throw them in. Yeah. I don't think you're going to be barista. I think that's as good as it is. <laughs> At the same time, like, you know, he would have fit in perfectly the mid-90s, you know, when they all had part-time jobs, you know, like exactly. the goon and whatever else. So, you know, the repo man and whatever else. Barista could have totally been a superstar back then. Yeah. All right, well, Two I'm eras. Fine. That's fantastic. He stomps his own beans. You, oh, there you go. There's the, there's the finish. The bean grinder. <laughs> exactly. Mate, we did want to chat a little bit about your career, Dave, but we can't, we can't waste too much time talking rubbish. Mate, really, we always start the same way anytime we do one of these sort of long-form things, and that's we want to know a little bit about how you became a wrestling fan, mate. Like, did you grow up with it? Were you like, you know, did you just have one friend when you were a kid that liked it? Like, what's the history? Of, yeah, what's the kind of... Yeah, well, it's actually kind of a mix of all those. Um, so my uh, my best friend, still to this day, we, we've been friends for uh, since I was eleven weeks old. We were at the same uh, same childminders together a long time ago, and uh, Chris Goodfellas is his name. And he got me into wrestling. He's a little older than me; he's about a year year and a bit older. And um, 
I would go to his house on, on a Saturday, whatever, and he would have WCW uh, or NWA. Um, it was actually first um, taped every Saturday. Um, and this was at a period where it was changing between World of Sport and uh, NWA. And that was it. That was us mesmerized right, right from the very beginning. So I think I'm three or four years old. Um, I've just really got into football and I'm, I'm, I'm into wrestling, you know, and like having a friend who's a little bit older uh, probably helped a lot, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I was a literal child, you know, <laughs> and he was always, uh, he was always a little bit further ahead development wise because of that, you know, so, you know, he would be, you know, taping stuff off, uh, you know, whatever was on. And that was a good period there for a couple of years. You know, we, we got our first kind of introduction into wrestling. And then like, as I got older, you know, you would get the annuals, the sticker books, everything like that. But it wasn't until the late 90s when, you know, it became affordable to have uh, Sky Television or cable television because like a competitor finally came in. So suddenly in 1997, boom, there I am. I've gone from being like, you know, a, you know, a, a child fan to I'm now 12, 13, 14 years old. There's WWF, WCW and ECW all at the same time, all, all on television. And it was you're just suddenly immersed in content, you know what I mean? Which is nuts when you think about now you can literally look at your phone and you get everything possible. But that was the equivalent for me on a Friday night. It would be, you would get an hour of WCW, then you would get WWF and WCW against each other. And then at two o'clock in the morning, ECW came on. So my friend Chris and I would, would watch it every every Friday and it would just be insane. And then the next day you would get SmackDown came about a year or two later. So you're waking up to more wrestling, you know, and that was just the way it was at the time. Uh, and it was nuts because like, you know, everything was so fast moving then, but it felt like years passed when it didn't. <laughs> And I actually, it's so funny, I, I spent a bit of time with D'Lo Brown this weekend at a show was that, and I was just grilling him about the Attitude Era because it was literally my, my, my childhood coming up and it was so interesting hearing his take. And I was like, so D'Lo, you know, you, you got signed in 1997. And he said, yeah, I got signed before the boom. So he was there when they were barely putting, you know, a couple of thousand people in an arena to boom, they're, they're selling arenas out before they even put it on sale, which to me is nuts, you know, but that's how popular they got in such a short space. And he was telling me like, it was for all of them, they, they were just, you know, struggling one minute to the next minute. They're, they're all, you know, trying to figure out what to do with their money almost, you know? So, but like that, that's, that's it for us, you know, for, for me as a child, you know, getting started as a kid, you know, kind of enjoying it, you know, in, in bits and pieces, you would get videotapes and stuff like that. Um, you would rent from Extravision back in the day, you know, we don't have that anymore. And then, uh, you know, finally getting cable and that was it. I think the, that was the right time in my life, 13, 14 years old, because at that point the internet started. So I've started e-fetting and stuff like that as well. So, you know, I, I've got designs at that point, you know, of trying to create characters and promos and things like that. And it just went from there really, you know, that was the, the obsession. And having Chris, you know, my best friend, even to this day, you know, help kind of, you know, help me along in a way with my fandom, you know what I mean? So, so, you know, it was a great experience and getting to share that with him was, was incredible. It was a great way to grow up. Did Chris ever think about dipping his toe into the industry? A long wow. time ago in 2005 and, and he, um, you know, he's been with me for, you know, various parts of the journey and stuff like that. So it was very cool that like, you know, for him, it was more, you know, it was fandom for me. It was, it was more, I wanted to be a wrestler. And I knew I wanted to be a wrestler from I was 14 for real. And then when I was 16, I started researching schools and all that kind of stuff. So like I knew from that kind of time that that, that was the career path I wanted. Whereas, you know, Chris has, you know, done very well for himself, married three kids. So yeah, good for him. <laughs> Yeah, to me, um, two weeks in a row now that D'Lo Brown's been mentioned. He was mentioned last week. 
So that's a great thing. And secondly, him coming in in 97 and then the boom, that's just proof that D.L.A. Brown is writing. That's yeah. true. Listen, I'll say that to him. You know what I mean? Maybe you could take some credit for it. You know, say that you said it. But no, he, he was very cool to, to talk to. You know, I've met so many of the guys through that era. Um, I've been very blessed throughout my career. But like, this is the first time I, fi- you know, I finally met D.L.O. And it was just incredible because like, you know, he was a young guy. He was, you know, 26 or something like that when, when he got signed to Dublin. And then like hearing his story was was amazing. Just, you know, the, the sheer like explosion of it, I think, is is just so cool to understand because when we really think about it, any of us who were watching WF in 97 and how that rise you saw the, the way Austin, it was coming and coming and coming. Phrasing. And then seeing it explode. <laughs> Phrasing. It became cool. It was pop culture. It was everything. I mean, you couldn't turn on a TV show without some sort of wrestling reference, which is mind blown. You know what I mean? Whereas that was almost unheard of five years ago, you know, like you know, 2015, 2017, you know, so whereas now, you know, I'm uh, sorry, in, in 90, 97, 98, like, I just remember like every TV show you put on, boom, you know, it's wrestling related. It went from being like, you know, a dirty secret to be a wrestling fan to actually being cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. I remember sitting in Australia. Like, I, we're a similar age, Damo, I think. I remember sitting there and like putting on the home shopping network and that selling wrestling merch and being like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> this is coming well, that, that, that proves it there, really, doesn't it? Because the stuff that you never expected, you know? Yeah, I couldn't believe it when my mum bought me a Kevin Nash watch for my birthday. <laughs> 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 like, just, just crazy stuff. Was it a um, Diesel watch or was it a Kevin Nash watch? It was, it was actually Wolfpack. Big oh, sick. It was probably super cool as well. But did you yeah. keep it? I, I love myself a bit of Kevin Nash in uh, around that time, you know. Oh, he was the man. He was the man. See, Will Osprey, get yourself a watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you mentioned you mentioned football there in passing. Like you, you you've got an athletic background, Damo, right? Like you're it's, it's hard to believe. I know it's hard to believe looking at me, right? But uh, no, I uh, I played football up to up to college, as they say here, up to university. But listen, I wasn't particularly good. You know, when I really look back on it, like I was playing outfield up until I was 15 or 16. And then I had to fill in in goals. And I was actually decent in goals. And it probably explains why, you know, diving around as a wrestler probably, you know, helps. But the um, I didn't realize I, I, I was actually okay as a goalkeeper. And, and then I, I started playing it then, you know, for the local club, whatever else, and then played at university. But, you know, like the, the funny thing about football, it was always just a hobby. It was always a bit of fun for me. But like, you know, the you, you my, my claim to fame is I, I played in like the very first round of the, the Scottish FA Cup or something. So that, that was pretty cool. Like, um, so that was one of my awesome part. I think we got humped, like, you know what I mean? But <laughs> but but I did it. So. <laughs> Mate, you Probably played, conceded three goals. So. <laughs> I played very low level of cricket. I always say I'm only eight good seasons away from playing for England. So you never, <laughs> like, you never know. It's not too late. You know, you still hey. Listen, you never know. You can get that right ball at some point, you know. Um, no, I think uh, I think at 37, my uh, my football days are definitely behind me. Uh, <laughs> at the time that you played that cup final, Damo, it probably would have been around the time that Schmeichel left Man United, right? So you probably fancied it. No, not at all. Uh, I think the realisation that I wasn't a good keeper was... Uh, it, it happened on on a regular basis. Um, <laughs> um, I, one of my one of my funniest was uh, I got absolutely destroyed by a striker. Um, so I had a bad back pass. I took it round him, um, which was you know cool because you know I used to play outfield, and he went right through me. Um, oh, and like 
I had a dead leg that lasted six weeks. But the funniest part was I actually, there was no sub goalkeeper, so I had to play on. <laughs> and I'm, I, somehow, somehow I didn't concede. But if they'd have just shot at me, they'd have scored. Thankfully, our defense stepped up. But the, uh, that was one of the worst experiences ever because I couldn't move. And even to the, I actually had to research. I was like, right, is this normal? Can you get a dead leg that lasts you know, longer than a week or, you know, a couple of days. Um, and thankfully, thankfully, Roy Keane had a, had a five-week dead leg. So that uh, that was it for me. And if it was okay for Keno, then it was okay for me. That's right. Two of the hardest men in the history of European <laughs> <laughs> What about the wrestling side of things then? So, like, uh, obviously from Northern Ireland, is there much? There's obviously not much of a scene there until what the last decade or so, I suppose. Or did you were you aware of an indie scene there at all? I wasn't aware of it when I left. So when I when I was researching, I was researching probably 2002, 2003, and I saw that there was two schools in Scotland. There was a school in Manchester, and there was a school in Kent. And I, I thought a lot about the Manchester one. But the, the reason why I chose uh, Scotland was because I got accepted to the university in Edinburgh. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll go there um, and I'll travel through to, to Glasgow, well, Paisley, sorry, just outside Glasgow, to do the training there. That kind of made sense at the time. And funny, I, I didn't realize that there was a school in Dublin and stuff like that as well. Like, But like, I didn't know that at the time. I started meeting those lads later on. I'm still friends with, with the likes of Paul Tracy and, and, and Fergal Devitt and stuff like that now. Like, um, So it was very cool, like, that um, not knowing that and, you know, going off and doing my own thing in Scotland. And then a scene grew, you know, back, there is a scene in, in Belfast and there's guys like Tucker and the Kings of the North, you know, who, who've been on the W Network and Progress and stuff like that as well. Um, you know, but Tucker went and he did the, the very first UK tournament and worked with uh, NXT UK for a while. So those guys were training probably around the same time I was in Northern Ireland. I just didn't hear about it. So um, so it's funny that I meet them like 10 years later. I, I, I go back or whatever it was. Maybe it was like, yeah, it was about 10 years later. I went back and I, I started um, wrestling in, in Northern Ireland, meeting all those lads, um, having a completely different, you know, school and different country and whatever else. So it was very cool, like, you know, seeing those guys. And, and even better going back once I get out of WWE is going back and seeing how the scene is now. And like coming out of Dublin, there's there's OTT that, that tours um, – across Ireland uh, and there's a lot of lads a lot of talent right now oh my god um, it's one of those things it's like one of the problems with, with certain countries like Ireland and wherever else is can be very insular and we found that happened a lot in Scotland as well when I was when I was living there it was only the ones like once everybody started travelling more getting out of the country and, and wrestling different people learning under different people going to different seminars that it started growing um, so I think Ireland was maybe just a couple of years behind uh, the rest of you know, the, the UK and whatever else in, in terms of experience and whatever else and then I go back and now that roster is absolutely incredible and um, there's so much great young talent and they're they're waiting to explode you know i know ott are doing a, a phenomenal job over there and like they've just done like the national stadium in dublin which is two thousand people and to be doing that coming out of COVID is amazing and they're doing it again in october uh i think it's october 30th i think they're in dublin so or maybe it's the 34th i think it's the 30th you know so they're doing a fantastic job over there and it, it's because the ross of the talent there's brilliant the, the school of irish wrestling is doing a great job there in dublin and you know, I'm, I'm delighted for the country because, you know, I had to leave, you know, to find, uh, to find training. Um, and I, it took me, my journey was nuts to try and find the right training. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's great to see that Ireland's doing really well and Scotland's done really well. Like my whole process being there has been fantastic. You look, 
WWE has an incredible amount of Scottish wrestlers under contract right now, uh, and that's a testament to the the talent pool who came through around that that period. Like, um, and it's amazing to think like for such a small couple of countries, Ireland, Scotland, whatever else, um, they're represented very well in the, the biggest company in the world. So, <laughs> yes. Well, I think, I reckon you're probably a bit harsh on yourself. Like you've mentioned some names there that you sort of look up to or even work beside as trailblazers. I'm sure that so many people, you know, from an Irish heritage now must look at you in the same way and say, hey, this is our path. Like I, I can see light at the end of the tunnel. I can get to WWE or AEW or Progress or OTT, whatever it might be, ICW. Like, yeah, hopefully, man. Like, uh, like if if anybody is is inspired at all by my journey, then fantastic. Like, but but realistically, like, there's you have to be able to be willing to gamble on yourself. And like, you know, I made that decision. I spent my my entire student loan on wrestling training, and I'm um, still I'll, I'll be paying that off probably for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> um, but like, it, it's one of those things. You know, I made that decision. I gambled on myself. And like, when I met Robbie Brookside a lot later in my career, and I was traveling down to to Leicester every week, that was you know it was a huge undertaking when I was already an active wrestler. But if it wasn't for meeting him, I wouldn't have been able to get out of of the neck out of the gear I was in. You know, break through the glass ceiling or whatever else that we put on ourselves. So. I know you've said before, like, well, I think I've heard you say that he's just the best trainer in the world. Like, what it, what is it about Brookside? So to give you an idea, like, you know, I said before, like, I've done a lot of football and stuff like that. And I also played rugby, like, until I was 14 or 15. And I was playing at a high level. We were coached by one of the, the Irish national rugby players and stuff like that. So, like, I've had, you know, generally good coaching across the board in, in, in a lot of the sports that I've played. But in wrestling, like, the... the best coach... Or sorry, in, in any sport, sorry, the best coach I ever had was Robbie Brookside because Robbie was... Robbie made it, it could be he could have two people he could have thirty two people right and everybody had a personal experience which is is mind blowing for me because you know I couldn't imagine like in any you know if I if I was training with twenty other people and if on a football pitch like it wasn't you, you wouldn't you wouldn't get that personal drive I think from from a coach don't get me wrong like you know certain people could shout at you and get you get your buck up whatever sure but I think Robbie was able to break down why things weren't great for people you know what I mean and I think that was massive like you know he had a really honest and frank conversation with me at the time this is 2011 2012 about not necessarily having the x factor to because I he said I had the talent to move on he was the first real person to say that to me you know that I could that I could you know go to the states and do whatever and like I hadn't really like I'd almost shelved that desire, that dream, because, you know, I, I couldn't figure out how to get to the next level. But, you know, Robbie, like, um, kind of explained it to me in in a very easy way that, like, you have to find that X factor, you know. And it was something, you know, Johnny Moss, who's a coach in, in NXT now as well, he said to me once, like, and, and it, it resonated better the older I got. He said, you need to be able to stand next to Randy Orton and belong. Um, and it was something that, like, I didn't really understand when he first said it to me in 2004 or whatever it was. But, like, after hearing from Robbie and, and speaking to Robbie, then you start realizing what, what Johnny meant. And I was like, you know, physically and as a character and everything else, you need to have something that, that defines you and, and makes you, you know, sets you apart. And Robbie, like, kind of helped me find that, you know, and it, it all coincided at the same time. Don't get me wrong. There was a bunch of reasons why, you know, I... I I started growing my hair and my beard and all these things. It was a the commentator at ICW, Billy Kirkwood. He uh, he called me the Beast of Belfast, and that was it. That was the light bulb moment for me. And I was like, shit, this is what I need to do. You know, I need to keep doing, you know, keep growing the hair. I'd stop shaving my back, shaving my arms, all these things that like I, I'd been told you always had to do. You know what I mean? I grew out my beard. Like my beard was something funny. Like where 
it always itched, so I always had to shave it at a certain point. But it didn't itch this one time, and I was able to just keep it growing and keep it growing. And then eventually, there I am in ICW. Billy calls me the, the Beast of Belfast, and that was it. That was the, the click. And he hates me like putting him over, but Billy is, is an incredible comedian and an incredible mind for, for wrestling, and I, I loved working with him. And it was him. He called me the Beast of Belfast. And that was what I needed, along with Robbie trying to help me find the X Factor. And, like, he was even telling me that, like, you know, what I was wearing and stuff like that and, and how I was presenting. Like, you know, I was hiding the fact that I was bigger as opposed to, you know, showing it off. You know what I mean? And it was all these things all happen at the same time. And you've got plenty of people who, you know, who you've respected across your career. Like, Johnny's one of them. Um, and that thing that Johnny had said, you know, is, can you stand next to Randy Orton? And that is, it's a nuts thing, but it, it makes so much sense. You know, it's it's what Johnny, like, um, if you look at Johnny, he's in incredible shape. You know, one of the first people in Britain at that period who looked outrageously, you know, uh, jacked and, and looked better than everybody else. So for him to say that um, and, you know, push himself to that level, you know, it helped push a lot of us, you know, to go a little bit further. And, you know, it also helped that I met the right people, training partners, you know, I started working out with Joe Coffey. I was talking about him earlier today and he and I were working out together and I was trying new things, different things in the gym, like Atlas stones and all these kind of things. Um, and suddenly I'm a lot stronger. I'm bigger. I'm eating more. So like I've got to the point where I'm no longer looking like a soccer player, you know, <laughs> and uh, you know, the realization that, you know, all these things come into head, like Robbie talking about the X factor, Billy calls me the beast of Belfast. I've, I've started changing my gear, my look, my image. And then, you know, two years after that, you know, I'm, I'm being courted by the biggest companies in the world and or maybe three years, whatever it was. But like that rise started because I was able to take a look at myself and realize that there was something missing. And like, yes, I'd been wrestling seven, eight years or whatever it was. But, you know, I, I look like everybody else. I wrestle like everybody else. And, you know, there's a realization that that's not good enough, you know, and especially you know, at that point I'm living in Glasgow, I think it was. And, you know, to get out of Glasgow, you know, I needed to have something special. And that's thankfully I had, I had a lot of good people who helped me figure out what that was going to be. So <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Like I, I've always, like, I think part of the reason I love wrestling, you know, like I'm, like, I'm big guy, six, six, but I'm, I was a fat kid, you know what I mean? And that's part of the reason I love wrestling is because of all, all the different shapes and sizes, I think, you know what I mean? And like to, to hear you say that, it, it took a while for you to kind of realize that and to grow into yourself and say, no, I'm the fucking big guy. Like, cause I just look at you and I'm like, this is like just naturally this guy. He knows he's what, what he's six, three, what 140 kilo, maybe something like that. And uh, like in pines and stones, please, you know, the, yeah, the metric yeah, system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was the metric system. It would be, make a lot more fucking sense. But <laughs> uh, mate, I, I, I was promised no match. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, as a case study though, as a case study demo, I remember seeing you first in Power Slam magazine, and you kind of flick through everyone around that time that was kind of the Davy Richards type wrestler, and then you flip the page, and then I had to do like a double take of like who, like who's this guy that looks like a throwback to like World of Sport nineteen seventies dude, and then read your, I like read your profile, was interested in you, and then weeks later I saw that you were booked for Red Pro, and I bought a ticket. <laughs> oh shit! Right, that's cool. That's very cool. Like, but like that's. You know, that, that's it, isn't it? Like, it's having something that, that catches the eye. And like, you know, listen, in my in my wildest dreams, I never thought I would be, you know, a, a 330 pound wrestler. I, ne I never thought I'd be a, a big hairy guy and stuff like that. When I first set out, I wanted to be fucking Lance Storm or I, I wanted to be like RVD or something, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, a lot, a lot of things that happened in my life that led me to that point, you know, 
I fell in love with weightlifting. Um, I, I enjoyed training. Uh, I was able to adjust my diet. I had great uh, training partners, as I said. Um, and like suddenly I'm, I'm 20 stone or whatever it was at the time. And I'm like, you know, shit, you know, I can either lose weight and, and you know, go back down to, to whatever I was um, or I can I can sit at 20 stone. I ended up getting up to 23 stone, actually, when I got signed to WWE. But that, that was a bit unfeasible to stay at that kind of weight, to be honest. Um, but, you know, if you ever see like, my, my final few indie dates and stuff like that. I was, I was up there at the 23 stone mark, but like, I just remember thinking at that kind of point, I was like, okay, I'm getting all this attention. So I must be doing something right. Um, and that's that, you know, that was the aim. And as you say, like, you know, being able to open a picture and go, who the fuck is this troll? You know what I mean? Um, and that's, that, that's what I think helped me through that, that initial period, because not a lot of big guys would be, would be getting booked on shows. You know, there was myself and Dave Mastiff and that was maybe it, you know, maybe guys would be like 240, you know, 250, you know, max. And then you've got myself and Mastiff who are both, you know, very large lads. And that, that was it. You know, it was, it was bizarre, but that, you know, that's just the way it was at the time. And now, thankfully that changed, you know, Walter started killing it in, in Germany and he, he got over more over in, in Europe as well. Uh, sorry, into UK as well. Um, so I did notice like things have changed and there, there's guys coming through now, like Will Cruz and, and a bunch of others who, who are all bigger lads. And it's good to see because, you know, it, it's proof that like, it doesn't really matter about, you know, the size and shape as long as you're good. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that's kind of the key, you know, you know, I grew up like at one point hating Bam Bam Bigelow to the point of loving Bam Bam Bigelow. And, you know, you know, I remember Vader was my, my very first villain. I fucking hated him. Right. Um, and, and now my finisher is the Vader bomb, you know, so that's, <laughs> I remember, so I was a Sting kid, you know, and, and fucking Vader was the, was the number one villain to Sting at the time. So, um, and it's funny in 1993, WCW came to um, came to Belfast. It was the it's a big deal because listen, nothing came to Belfast. If any of us have ever seen Derry Girls, the TV show, they explain it better than I can, right? <laughs> um, but you know, during the troubles, nothing came. So for for us, when WCW came in '93, that was fucking incredible. Like, but Vader was the villain, you know. So, and there I am now, you know, studying Vader's fucking matches. You know? <laughs> That's brilliant. What a brilliant story. 93. I didn't know, I didn't know WCW toured, you know what I mean? Like, not that I was here at the time. I was in Oz, but we had to wait until 2001, I think they came. Nitro. Oh, yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, so, like, you mentioned this, this stuff like the X Factor and the Beast of Belfast. This is developing you, but at that same time, there's a bit of a boom in Britress as well, right? Like, do you... Like, well, you're in it. Like, did you notice as you're in it? Like, wow, this is really booming. Oh, fuck, I'm making a bit of money. Or was it like, did you just, did you only realize afterwards in hindsight? It's like, fuck, I was part of something special there. The best way I can describe it is, so when I first started wrestling, it was really easy to put on wrestling shows. So a promoter would put two posters up in a town and he'd have 400 people or whatever, you know? And then the recession hits 2008, 2009, and you could put up 500 posters and get 50 people. You know, it was... It was the shits and it was difficult and that was very tough for for a lot of us and i just went full-time as a wrestler what a you know a terrible decision at the time but like you know i got made redundant i was working in the bank um i got made redundant because of the recession and i, I used that money to to help me you know become a, a pro wrestler like as a full-time job which was a bizarre choice when i look back on it but you know from there from you know 2009 to 2011 there was a massive difference and suddenly like People are putting on big shows again. You know, I was I was helping run a show myself outside of Glasgow, uh, and we managed to get like a thousand people or something like that. You know, in, in a couple of venues. So I noticed the change and it was rising, and then the skill level was 
I think by about 2013, 2014, the realization is that a, a lot of guys have been wrestling five to 10 years and promoters were starting to put the best kind of against each other. They weren't afraid to maybe bring somebody down from Glasgow or, you know, or fly somebody down, whatever else. So it all started changing. Like I walked into the progress locker room for, for super strong style and I'm surrounded by all the guys who I might see one or two at a show, but now every single one of them is there for that show. And I'm like, shit, this is it. This is how it grows, you know? And, and like Rev Pro was, was a typical example of that ICW as well. Like, like, you know, you, you just noticed everything was getting better and better. I think like when BBC took an interest in ICW, that was massive. And like, they did the, the the two documentaries, you know, uh, with Grado and then with Drew and the second one, Drew and Grado and, and Jester and, and Dallas. Um, so, like, I think that was a massive, like, factor in ICW exploding, you know. But, like, at the same time, Drew coming off WWE, coming back was insane for us as talent because you know he he looked around and saw a bunch of us who were hungry and he was able to give us like incredible advice and, and for me especially like like drew hates to take credit for anything as well you know he's, he's a really humble fella he's incredible talent but he really helped me for like to get as i said like, you know i, I talked to you about the x factor talked about the beast of belfast and all that but like all that's fine and good like but you need somebody to help you get then to the next level, which is okay to get to WWE, you know, and or, or to get worldwide fame, worldwide notice, whatever. And wrestling Drew multiple times over two or three years. And um, that, that was it. That's the last, not necessarily the last kick in the ass I needed because I'm sure I needed plenty, but that's what I needed. Like that confidence. I wrestled him uh, for, for a company called BCW in East Kilbride, which is a, you know, a town outside of Glasgow. And that was, eye-opening for me and then I wrestle him a week later in Inverness up the, the north of Scotland um, and suddenly I've just done two events with, with Drew Galloway who's, who's one of the you know the, the best wrestlers on planet earth who don't believe for some stupid reason have let go and that, that was awesome for me and, and like he helped drive me he was mentioning me in interviews he was helping me get bookings and stuff like that which he didn't have to do And but that's I got to do a storyline with him through ICW um, where he was you know, we, we were able to come up with parts of it ourselves, and, and fair play to ICW for letting it play out as, as we came up with ourselves in Red Lightning, who's who's one of the um, the producers in ICW. Now he, he's an incredible uh, brain for this business, um, and like the, the three of us created a lot of the story, and like getting to go through that process with Drew was awesome. And then, you know, a few years later, I'm wrestling in NXT and stuff like that. So, you know, <laughs> so a lot of it comes down to you know for me was, you know, meeting the right people at the right times. As I've said already, you know, meeting Johnny Moss, meeting Fergal David, Paul Tracy, um, meeting Robbie Brookside, you know, and then there's there's Drew Galloway, you know, and another one uh, who, who was coming up around that period in, in England was Rampage Brown. And he was a fella who I I knew he was good. I was, um, I'd always, I'd seen him wrestle a bunch of times, whatever else, but when I wrestled him finally for the first time, it changed my, my life. I hate to say it, but it did. It changed my life because, there was a period where, you know, we'd be doing shoot headbutts and stuff to each other, like being really stupid. They, you know, making incredible decisions that, that looking back were, were really bad. And anybody who's, who's listening, who's in the business right now, like understand the importance of, you know, CTA and concussions and stuff like that. Like, you know, you don't have to do anything that, that could put your long-term health at risks. We're, you know, we were doing that. And it was a terrible decision, but wrestling Rampage Brownie helped me figure out you don't have to do that. You don't have to, you, made, you need to make it 
as believable as possible without actually killing yourself. Um, and he was such a gentleman in the ring, one of the best performers I've ever watched. I love any time he was on TV, I'd, I'd go and watch his matches. But, you know, getting the rest of the likes of Drew Rampage and so many others throughout that period. And then you realize, oh, shit, the crowds are getting bigger. And, you know, I'm wrestling Mark Haskins for RevPro or whatever else. And, like, even one of their small venues is completely packed out. Boom, I'm now wrestling like you know, New Japan stars in, in the York Hall. 2,000 people are there. I'm like, I'm wrestling Tomohiro Ishii, and now people are, are talking about me. You know, so this whole period just, it just, I think we realized it was doing well, but you know, all of us were like, oh, the bubble's going to burst any minute. The bubble's going to burst any minute. Like, because, you know, that's just the pessimistic part of wrestling because we've seen the recession hit only a few years before it. But, Realistically, if I sat down and I, I, I looked at it, like Rev Pro chose, say, six British guys and they kind of built, you know, the shows around them. Progress, you know, w- would do something similar. Maybe it'd be 10 or 12 or, f- or 16 guys um, and then a few of their own trainees. You know, ICW was the exact same kind of setup. And like you're continually wrestling good wrestlers every week. It's no wonder that the quality went up. It's no wonder why the fans were suddenly excited. And then it's no wonder why WWE wanted to buy everybody, you know, whether it was the promotions or the wrestlers themselves, because the quality was as good as anywhere in the world. Uh, And there was a period, you know, there's a bunch of shows in that 2015, 2016 mark, which you could put on par with anything, whether it was Ring of Honor, whether it was TNA, whether it was WWE, whether it was, you know, like New Japan, like our stuff was just as good and that, that hadn't happened for a long time. You know, we gave wrestling to the world. We were, we were the best at it. And then we completely forgot about it for a while. And then suddenly we were able to compete, you know, globally. Uh, and the proof was in the pudding, you know, 2016, 2017, look at how many of those lads went, you know, went all across the world. So, um, you know, when I look back on it, yeah, like obviously there's a, a lot of times where you're, you're in it and you're not seeing, you know, the, the good things that are happening. But there was a part of me that remembered 2009, 2008, like I wrestled in front of four people on one show, you know what I mean? And that was like years after my debut. So to go from four to, you know, I wrestled in front of 80,000 people like in 2017. So, you know, that's the point. It's like, it's hard to forget your roots. You know what I mean? Like I'm one of those people who always tries to move forward, you know, try not to dwell on things. Um, But like, you know, how do you forget, you know, when it was the shit. <laughs> yeah. Mate, I, like you've just mentioned so much stuff. That Sorry, I, I'm, I'm a rambler. I said this before. I said this before. <laughs> I, I fucking love it. I just want to wind up. No, there's so many things. I, I wish we had eight hours, but I was just <laughs> one, one that I'm not, people know, and Ro, Ross would know this. Ross is the, the numbers man. He's got the good memory for what, you know, what happened when and whatever. I, I normally drink too much at shows, but I, do, I distinctly remember like uh when i first moved to the uk i moved here it must 2014 and i, I remember being like the first time i think it was i think it might have been the first time i went to rev pro and i remember just being there and we're, we're progress fans at heart but we went i was at rev pro and i remember like talking to someone after from australia and they're like oh you went to the wrestling and i remember i'm like yeah there's this guy that looks like he could be my cousin and <laughs> He's, he's, he's about, he's about just about my size. And he hit a fucking van Terminator. On <laughs> and, I, and I just remember being like, what? Cause I, RVD is my lifelong hero. I'm going to meet him in a few weeks, actually. Oh, sick. Meet and greet things. But I remember just being like, that was like a thing that stands out to me about like my life in the UK. This local, yeah, like to me at the time it was local wrestling and I just make, holy shit. And then <laughs> it turns out it's you and Shinsuke Nakamura. Stop that. 
uh, <laughs> um, honestly, the, the, the coast to coast was probably the, the, the dumbest decision I've made as a, as a wrestler. But at the same time, you know, I was athletic enough to do it. So I was like, it was a period where, you know, I was like, well, I'm pretty athletic. Why don't I just do it and see how it goes? And I did it a few times. Um, the ICW ring was, was very small. It was a 14-foot ring, right? I nearly decapitated Joe Henry because I completely misjudged how small it was, right? Fair play to Joe Henry. You know, he's a great lad. Um, and uh, he survived. So that's the main thing. But um, then, you know, the Red Pro ring was 16 foot. I would do the, the 18 foot ring sometimes in ICW. Like, so it's not that big a distance for like, well, it is, right? I'm being stupid, right? It, it, it's a big distance, right? But the 14 foot ring wasn't, right? But I would do it every now and again. But like, God almighty, it was it was the sorest landing possible for me, right? And I did it a couple of times at WWE. And the, the one time I did it like in the, the giant ring was like... Uh, I think it was war games, whatever else, right? And Kyle O'Reilly was trying to be very nice and he was trying to sidle up towards me and I fucking ended up nailing him uh, with it. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. So, <laughs> you know, you try, you try to get, get a distance, but fair play to Kyle. I love him to bits. He's one of my, one of my favorite people on the planet. But no, honestly, like um, that time was was pretty cool. Like we all we all were aware that there, there was eyes on us and like we all needed to have something that was like eye-catching and that was my one was was the coast to coast and like you know being you know 23 stone whatever maybe it was 22 at that point you know i, I knew that people were gonna go holy shit what the fuck is this my favorite is when i first lined up to do it right people were like fucking poo-pooing me in the crowd <laughs> and uh, you know and i don't blame them i don't blame them and then fucking i hit it and then like anytime i teased it after they, they fucking realized so it was really cool because i was a massive rvd fan he, he was so different to everything i was watching you know at the time like you know in, in his in ECW, then he went to WCW, then to WWE. Like it was, it was amazing. Well, back to ECW, then to WWE. And like you know, I loved RVD. Like he was so much fun to watch, and he was so innovative as, as a as a star. And um, so I've, that's always been in the back of my head. Like, but it was so funny when I I first was going to do the coast to coast. I had to get permission from Shane McMahon to do it. And no you know, fair, fair play to Shane McMahon. He's incredible. Very funny guy as well. Um, he was like, yeah, of course you can. Like, fuck, it, it's a terrible movie. If you want to do it, you do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, was, it was, you know, very gracious of him. Very gracious of him. <laughs> well, I know, I'm just a fan. But I imagine, like, part of that move, like, the, the appeal of it is the big back bump, right? It makes such a big noise and it's like a fucking crash, right? So like, I can imagine that must take it out. That must be brutal. Like, oh, I'd be lying there after, like, like completely regretting my like, entire life choices. You know what I mean? But... but <laughs> Mate, so like people would absolutely hate us if we didn't talk a bit about WWE and stuff, right? So like, of course. I just wanted to ask about like moving to the states. So obviously, the big move to Scotland um, from Northern Ireland as a youngster. Did that make it easier to move to the states, or did you? Was it difficult? Like, what are some of the difficulties around that? Is it for a start? Is it hard to get a visa if you're going to go and work for a major national company? With America, absolutely. Jesus Christ, yeah. So I think I've always been adaptable and like. Um... I kind of figured that out pretty quickly. Like you can end up becoming a part of the furniture if you if you sit still too long, you know. And that that was kind of like my realization that you know when I was living in Scotland and stuff like that. And I, I first went to Edinburgh, I moved all over Edinburgh, then I went over to Glasgow and everything else. And I, you know, I knew I was traveling so much now down to England and whatever else, or over to, to mainland Europe. So I, I think like I was pretty adaptable. But when I first moved to uh, to Florida, I fucking hated it, like because. I'm suddenly in 80, 90, 100 degree heat um, Fahrenheit, so like 30 to 40 degrees Celsius, you know, and it's like 
it's 100% humidity, which to explain to people who don't know, who live in a dry place, um, humidity is literally where it's invasive heat. And I was so miserable my, my first while there. Like, and like not, I was living my dream and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, as soon as I can leave Florida, I'm leaving Florida, right? And like, you know, that was in my head the entire time. Okay, once I get called up to the main roster, I'm going to fucking move out of Florida, whatever. And then, you know... <laughs> Over the winter, we were in Seattle, right? And I picked up a, a car. It was only I was only going to drive like 10 miles or 15 miles, whatever it was, um, to pick up the boys and do whatever. But two miles into the journey, my tire burst, and it was minus 20 degrees Celsius, and I had to change the tire in that weather. And suddenly I realized, you know what? Florida's not that fucking bad. So, <laughs> And uh, since then, I've been actually quite quite uh, effusive in my praise for for living in Florida. Um, and uh, uh, even though it was, it was 100 degrees today as I went to the gym, it was 101 degrees, actually, fuck. And yeah, I, I've adapted. I, I It still fucking sucks, don't get me wrong, at times when it's super hot and whatever else. We've got this these things called love bugs, which are these weird flies in mating season, right? now they're like the size of blue bottles but they're dozy as fuck so like because they're trying to mate like they're very easy to kill but they've completely blanketed my house right now um but that's that's one of the weird parts of living in 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 florida but other than that it's been i'm here six years now and you know it's i never i never thought i would i would settle here i never thought i would enjoy it you know what i mean but um having just had my sisters here for uh for the week last week and they had a wonderful time and stuff like that. And you, you get to see it through people's eyes, you know, who come here to visit. And then when you go home at winter and stuff like that, you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> so I, uh, I've, I've learned how to, how to get better in the weather. When I first came to, to WWE, like, so I'm wearing like, I wear like football shirts. Cause that's, you know, I've got like a, this crazy collection. Right. And we have to wear sleeves in the performance center. Right. So I'm forever getting fucking rashes and all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, just the typical things that like, you know, heavy guys are going to get. Uh, whereas now everything's, you know, all my sleeves are cut off. I don't think I have any. I haven't worn a football shirt in fucking years. So I've got this brilliant collection that I don't wear of football shirts, you know. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, it, it's one of those things you adapt, you, you figure it out, and you get better and you understand. And that, that, that's that's what I've I've come to enjoy about Florida and you get into your own routines and whatever else. But I think for me, like, you know, the transition was hard. I, I had a whole crazy uh, allergy to the food here and there's a much lower standard of food in uh, America than there is in Britain. The laws in Britain are just way higher. So food can't pass a check. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't pass. Whereas in, in America, it, it's the wild west in terms of, of food. So you have to get, you have to get really um, into your research to find like the right meats and all these kind of things. And like, I ended up being allergic to fucking everything. I can't eat tomatoes anymore and things like that because it ended, you know, it all ended up like affecting me. And like, I lost like 50 pounds uh, when I first got to the PC. So I was, we're training five days a week and you're trying to get the calories in. You're wrestling Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So you'd be training, then you'd be going to shows and you're just immersed in it. So you're just trying to get the calories to get it in. And it just like, my, my body just rejected the, the the intake. So by, I think it was, um, God, it might have been spring of, of 2017. Like I was super ill. It took a long time for me to, to get that, uh, to get around that. Um, and I finally bounced back. I got on medication, all that kind of stuff, um, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, it, the nuts thing is, you know, like as a foreigner, you know, living in, uh, living in America, you, you have to be very aware that like, where you're from like you're from australia there's, there's a high quality you know with, with food there you know and me being from from ireland like you know, the standard is is incredible like britain's standard for food even the cheapest thing you'll get from from asda or whatever else is going to be better than a lot of places here in, in america because you know it's it's you know consumer culture so it, it's 
they've they've adapted to it already. You know, it's been through the, throughout their entire throughout their entire lives. So that was very difficult to adapt to, and that's taken me a long time to get my head around and to to get right. And it's only now, you know, that I'm under in full control with you know my diet, what I cook, and everything else. But it taught me that you know a lot better about nutrition and things like that. So I'm the healthiest version of me that I've been probably in my entire life, which is a good thing. But at the same time, you know, like, you know, there might be times where if I have anything that's like, you know, if, if I had a pizza, for example, right, that would, that would be it. I'd, I'd be, I'd be fucked. <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to get very creative about, you know, how to, I think there's literally a storm happening right now. I was talking about 101 degree, 101 degree uh, heat. And now there's, there's a, a severe thunderstorm, apparently. So I just got a text saying there's a severe thunderstorm coming. That'll pass in 20 minutes and then it'll be hot again, which is not so. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Queensland. I miss that. The afternoon I, thunderstorm cool you down, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you need it certain certain times, especially over what would be our winter or your summer, you know? That's that's right. That's right. I feel like if Vince got wind of your food allergies, your like Titan Tron thing would be like former NXT tag champion can't eat tomatoes. <laughs> I mean, it's highly likely that they, they'd put something stupid on there, like, you know, the, those ribs within a rib that uh, nobody got, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Mate, well, well the, the first big change, I guess, in WWE is the name, right? Like, did Killian Dane, did you get any input or how does that work? So the head writer at the time wanted to call me Valak Dane, which is like, I just, I mean, I, like, and I, when I first got there, you know, you're, you're, you're told to say yes to everything. You're, you know, you're almost, you've got no input, whatever else. But I was like, this is fucking stupid. Like, I'm actually Irish, right? Um, and I, my email, I'm going to have to find it one day. I said, listen, I am Irish and there's not one Irish person named Valak or Dane in the entire country. And I was just like, you know, it, it's something that you have to be like aware of because I, I was brought here because of probably how I looked, you know, because I, I look like a troll and whatever else. So I think they're like, oh, let's give him a kind of Viking name or whatever. And that's fine. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I had to put my foot down and like, I didn't like Dane at all because like, again, you know, the Danish are called Danes, you know, so I was like trying to like, you know, get around that. But uh, they said, okay, well, what ideas have you got? And, you know, I gave a big list of names, but Killian was literally the first on the list. Um, my, the school that I, I went to became St. Killian's. Um, as I got older, like St. Killian was the, the, the saint for where my parents moved to. Um, and it was funny, like, I just heard that name a bunch, Killian Mbappe, I just started playing for Monaco and stuff like that. So the name, I just knew Killian Murphy was doing fucking... Um, what's the TV show? Uh, uh, oh, they're all Piggy Blinders. So, like, you know, you know, the, the name just kept popping up. I was like, ah, oh, fuck, I'll, I'll choose Killian. Like, but he, they, they were adamant about keeping Dan, and I'm like, you know, there's nothing I could do. But I eventually ended up liking it. But I just I, at the time, I, I just did not like it. Um, but Va, I just thought Valak Dan was fucking stupid. And like, there's no point being Irish, you know. And you hear me talk, I'm Irish, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I thought it, would, it was it was a silly idea to try and just ignore that, you know? So I'm glad I managed to get Killian. And, and, and you know, Killian's one of those, like, aggressive enough sounding names that, that people could go, oh, that, that sounds interesting, whatever else. So, but it was funny when I first debuted on TV, they called me Demo and they called me Demo for is, yeah. months. <laughs> and then what's even funnier is when they did call me De uh, Killian, right? They actually. <laughs> One of my my first, uh, I'm doing something with EY, and EY calls me demo on screen, and they leave it in the broadcast for some reason. And then uh, one of the directors was trying to get a shot, uh, and uh, I think Hunter or, or Sean Michaels were going, follow demo, follow demo, follow demo, you know. And, and like, the director's like, who the fuck's demo, right? <laughs> so we, we got an email. <laughs> 
we got an email like the next week or whatever it was that we all had to be referred to by our work names right um, at all times whereas I, everybody just referred to me as demo because it was just it was my nickname anyway uh, and it was the name i you know i I'd, you know been using on the indies and stuff like that so i everybody everybody called me demo but then we got this thing so we all had to be called by our our, our gimmick names which is very funny so i'm to blame for that so if anybody's mad about it whatever else right um but but it was it was hilarious but it was because the director you know he didn't know who demo was he, he only knew who killian was you know and anytime i'd met him it was hi killian you know he was the only one who called me by my my actual work name so um, but the, really, i always find it funny there's a really funny story in our little group where we were massive fans of axel dita jr on the indies and we yeah. love that name and then he got changed to Marcel Bartel, and we were livid about it, being like, "Who would be called that?" And then, and then we found out it was his actual name. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like there was a lot of there was a crazy amount of heat on that name, right? People were like, "Oh, so raging about it," and I just remember going, "It's his fucking name. What are you so upset about?" Like you know. <laughs> but that, that's <laughs> that's the best part of of wrestling You don't know, you know. Yeah, mate. Obviously, we we're, we're jumping around a bit here, but like you know, you you're there on on TV with Sanity and like we obviously loved it straight away and I think it felt and I hate using wrestling terms because I'm just a fucking fan but it seemed over immediately <laughs> like really I mean obviously you struck up friendship with those guys pretty quickly obviously you're in a stable with your partner as well I'll ask about that oh, I mean I quite like her as well like you know what I mean so but uh, <laughs> um, no honestly so I um, I had wrestled EY for Impact um, Impact did a bunch of shows in the UK and my first match there was was against EY, and he was just such a wonderful fella. Like, and he, he was so given, and we packed everything we could think of into a five minute match. And like, I don't ever want to watch it again because it's probably terrible. But you know, it's a testament to who he is as a person. I was a like, n- like I was a small name, you know, or you know, relatively, um, and he was more than willing and so gracious and, and everything else. So, you know, I I struck up a relationship with EY that day, and, and I loved talking to him. And Axel, like, um, or Alexander Wolf. So he, a lot of people don't know this. Like, um, so when he was coming through uh, and ma- coming over to WWE, I was doing a lot more over in Germany. So I was meeting him at a bunch of shows uh, on his way out, or was as he was waiting for his visa. Um, and he gave me such great advice uh, for my, I had a tryout coming up or something. He gave me this brilliant advice that like helped me a lot. And like, I, I, I as a big guy, being like, I knew that I'd be not targeted, but I knew they'd want me to, to do a lot of the drills, maybe a couple of extra times and stuff like that to see like how I do. But Axel gave me great advice with footwear and um, even like with, with drinks and stuff like that to come with me. And, and like I did all that and I nailed, you know, my, my tryouts and stuff like that. So it was one of those things, him taking the time when, when he didn't have brilliant English, you know, to come and try his best to help me. Like, and he had none, there was no skin in the game for him. You know what I mean? Like um, it's a testament to him being a really good person. And, and to this day, like, um, the both of them are, are great friends of mine, but I, you know, Axel and I were road wives, so we would share a room a lot of the time, and we'd always the three of us would always travel together. Um, but uh, you know, Axel and I were inseparable for a long time, and like you know, we we have you know different backgrounds and everything else. But I'd love hearing about growing up in you know East Germany, like, and, and that must have been such an incredible experience, you know, like and being able to you know tell him about growing up in Belfast and stuff as well throughout the troubles. So you know, it, it, it was very cool, like. And then EY, you know, EY was our leader in 
like on camera and off the camera because so much television experience and he had trained people before and um, he'd also wrestled top of the show main event of the show you know he'd done everything in terms of wrestling so you know that crew was you know i was so blessed to be to put into that group my only downside was that i replaced sawyer fulton like who who got injured he had a terrible injury like he tore his pectoral right at the start of sanity which is nuts like like the timing absolutely sucked so it was bittersweet for me because you know, I knew I was replacing somebody and that sucked, but it was also like the beginning of my dreams. So my debut night in NXT fucking sucked. I felt like the biggest piece of shit in the world. But at the same time, it was like I was also living my dreams. So you're, you're kind of like having this really, I don't think I slept for about four days, like cause you, you feel terrible and whatever else, you know what I mean? Um, but then, you know, it, if it wasn't me, somebody else would do it. And that's, I think, one of the, I think it was maybe Terry Taylor, you know, kind of put that in better terms for me and helped me understand it. You know what I mean? But then, you know, as I say about that group of the guys and Nikki there, like, I couldn't have asked for better people to be around. You know, you had Nikki and Axel who brought the energy to the entrance. Eric was was the, the leader, you know, top of the babbling leader. And I, I got to stand looking like a fucking psychopath behind them all. So, like... When I look back, it was an incredible experience. Like that was, you know, my first taste of being a part of that big Dudgeably production, you know, the lights, the music, the, you know, the, the smoke machines, the camera effects, everything you could think of. It was a sick entrance. Um, it was, you know, like the bells and whistles. That's the best way to describe it. You know, when you get the bells and whistles, you know, somebody thinks something about you. You know, and, and that was pretty cool for us to get a chance to do that. Um, and then as I was able to grow into the character, I was able to work closer with Triple H, asking him what he wanted from Killian. And like, I was able to get a bit of my own individual flair. You know, like I, I started wearing like the, the kind of the kilts and stuff like that. to try and like be a little different because nobody remembers this, but EY used to wear a, a little kilt when he was first in the sanity group so everybody always wonders where i got the kilt idea from and it was actually ey because he was wearing one and then he ended up losing his head and didn't like it so uh, he went back to back, back to the trunks so I, I i carried on with the kilt and it was you know it was a cool little image and stuff like that bastard to clean though i will say that you know having to fucking keep those was a nightmare and also like i, I went with fur jacket and stuff and i thought oh this would be pretty cool whatever another bastard to clean right but uh, <laughs> um but honestly like the, the, working with those guys was absolutely incredible and like we noticed it not right away like we knew that there was a response but it was pretty much the april 2017 it was the the night before wrestlemania it was the first time we did the four on four and that was it like the crowd just came up huge for us like we knew okay the, the crowd are starting to dig us and not long after that we were baby faces you know like i'm i did a thing that summer um where i wrestled drew and stuff like that so that was my almost my final foray as a heel um you know did a few other things throughout that period and then by the time we got to to war games we were we were the baby faces you know uh, they were originally trying to push aop as the baby faces but the the florida crowd wouldn't wouldn't let it happen <laughs> so it ended up being us so it's meant to be us as the villains and aop as as the babies but it the, the crowd was not letting that happen. And I think that a lot of that comes down, in my opinion, to Axel and to Nikki because their energy was just so different to what was on any wrestling screen. You know what I mean? Like nobody was getting on like that. Nobody was losing themselves in a moment like that in, in terms of like everybody wanted to look cool. Everybody wanted to look aggressive and be the badass. And you got these two fucking idiots who are just... <sighs> They may as well have, have, have been like like out of a lunatic asylum because they just went nuts. And like being a part of that was was so cool. And like having EY there as the cornerstone was so important because 
he could talk, um, he could wrestle, he could he could be the snivel and heel if they wanted that, or he could be you know the, the dynamic babyface. He could do any role that they if they wanted him to go and be funny, he'd be funny, you know. And that's you know a testament to the man. Like so, having him as the leader was awesome, and for for us it was just so cool to be a part of. For me personally, because like uh, I remember when I I first did it, like some of the producers were wanting me to be like Sawyer Fulton and, and like you know, which was closer to the way Axel was. And I didn't, like, I didn't want to be a, a direct replacement for Sawyer. I needed to be something else. And also because, like, I couldn't bring that energy that, that those guys were doing. So I got, you know, I spoke directly to, to Regal and to Triple H, and they said, no, no, we want you to be this, which is more stoic. They sent an email to all the producers so that everybody was all on the same page. And that, that changed everything for me because one of the main problems, you know, what the bosses want, then you got the interpretation of what the bosses want. I find that happen a lot over, you know, throughout the debris is like our interpretation of your interpretation is of his interpretation um, is what kind of happens. And that's sometimes why, you know, there are little problems, but going directly to the source is what made that all better. And that helped, you know, develop a relationship with Triple H as well. Um, so that I, if I had an, an idea or if I had a, a you know, a, a query, I'd go directly to him and he'd be like, right, this is what I want. And that's the difference. I think that was something that a lot of people weren't able to get on the main roster with Vince. So this current crew, we're going to work with Triple H for the next while. It's going to be night and day compared to what it maybe was. Because, you know, if, if you want a question, he's going to be there to answer it, which is incredible. You know what I mean? And like, I'm hoping that like maybe the middleman thing is, is something that can kind of not necessarily be stripped down, but like I'd rather everybody singing on the same uh, hymn sheet because when we were all singing on the same hymn sheet towards the end of 2017 2018 i thought nxt was was super strong it was so powerful everything we were doing was was solid because everybody was was in pointing in the same direction uh, and i think before that we were all kind of pointing in a different direction because nobody knew how we wanted to be like you know were we going to be too indie were we going to be you know too doubly like and eventually nxt kind of found its own little path and I thought that was pretty cool. Like throughout that, like, you know, we watched the takeovers from 14, 15, 16. Yes, there was there was definitely like something refreshing about it. But in my opinion, the 17, 18 is when it exploded because it was suddenly its own brand, its own show. Um, and it was very cool to be a part of that. It's very interesting that you mentioned that about Triple H managing to get that real nice kind of locker room feel. Because I just read an interview with Rhea Ripley where she said that the current Royal roster feels very much like the old NXT locker room. That's cool. Like that, like you guys will start seeing the, the, the benefits of this over the next few months, maybe in the next couple of years, because there's already a great bunch of talent who were on that roster. But for everybody to be, you know, on the same hymn sheet, singing off the same hymn sheet is massive. Um, and it's no, it's no surprise, you know, that all those talented people in NXT are now finding, you know, great roles on, on the main roster and having him there, you're able to ask him directly what he wants, you know, and like the difference that makes is astounding. It's astounding. You mentioned Nikki there, and I just wanted to ask you, like, how do you go as a watcher? Do you get nervous when you watch her wrestle now, or do you watching your, your partner? So she gets really nervous watching me because she knows I'm fucking crazy, right? Like, so she's <laughs> she, her character's crazy, right? But I, like, I'm I'm one of those people who like. If, if I can do it, I'll do it kind of thing. You know what I mean? So the bumps I'll take are probably rescue the, the bumps she takes, you know? Um, but like, it's one of those things. I don't really get as nervous when I watch her. I think I'm just desperate for it to go well. And then like, I think as she's grown, I don't really see her making mistakes anymore. I don't really see her like, you know, she connects with every crowd she's in front of. So like, 
I'm not nervous in any way, really. You know, the only difference is, you know, if you get given 90 seconds to do, you know, a segment, you know, it's a crapshoot, you know. But I know if she gets, like, 8 to 10 minutes, it's going to be good. Like, and she did, like, they had a couple of matches at NXT there at Worlds yeah, Collide. Yeah. Uh, really they had good. a great match. They had a really good match with uh, Caden and Casey. And, you know, that match was great. And then he did, you know, a toxic attraction on the Tuesday. You know, because then the girls have that little bit more time to showcase how good they are and, like, Listen, you know, TV's tough because you might only have three minutes and there might be a commercial break as well that you're, you do all your best stuff in the commercial break, nobody sees it. So, And, and that's happened, you know, I, like we wrestled the Usos once and they were very, they're great fucking lads, the Usos, and they were like, right, listen, I know normally we would do the heat during the break, right? But what we're going to do is you guys are going to actually do the heat like on screen and then we'll actually do our comeback or part of the, you know, the stuff we're on top in the break, which is mind blowing, right? That they would be willing to give up TV time like that. But it just shows you how, how wonderful they are as, as wrestlers and as people, you know, but you know, with Nikki and stuff like that, I think, you know, I think she's grown so much. Like she was always this great character on the Indies. Like if any, anybody ever saw her, like you give her a microphone and she'd, she'd annoy you or she'd entertain you. you know, that was her thing. And she was a good wrestler, but you know, getting to, to sanity like she's not doing promos anymore you know which is funny because she, she got signed because they really liked her promos <laughs> so so then she doesn't do promos that, that's that's what happens so it does happen right um but you know she's bringing this energy to this character you know and like the, the only problem for her was the limitations of being in a male group was you know she might you know have to beat up a, a dude or whatever every now and again but she can't really get beat up because we can't show that on camera. So we have to try figuring out ways to make that work. And, you know, fair play to Triple H, you know, he always figured out something to make that work. Whereas when we went up to the main roster, Vince did not want to have that problem. So that's why the, the, the boys came up by themselves without Nikki, you know what I mean? Like that was one of the shittest parts of being a, a pro wrestler, like is when, you know, somebody goes up and like it happened to Carmella with Enzo and Cass. And, you know, she's such a wonderful girl, Carmella, that she actually um, messaged Nikki and they'd never met before. And she, um, you know, just checked in with her to see how she was and something told her that, listen, you know, she's got the talent and she'll, she'll, she'll come through. And, you know, she was very right. You know, so that was one of the, the hardest parts about being like a, you know, a woman in a, in a man's group. You, you, you'll kind of see it every now and again where it's difficult to, to get rid of the, you know, the girl off camera and stuff like that. But, you know, Triple H was very good at figuring out ways for it. And I'm sure he'll do that now with, with B-Fab and, and Hit Row. You know, he'll always figure out something for them. Um, whereas, you know, for, for Vince and stuff like that, he was like, you know, my heels are meant to get beat up by the faces. So how do I explain this girl away and stuff like that? So sadly, you know, we had to go in, in different directions. But but no, honestly, like in terms of Nikki and stuff like that, I'm so proud of her, like beyond belief for the, she got this new character together. Like she went to Vince, pitched that herself. You know, she noticed that like, you know, women in superhero movies, you know, are, are they're getting bigger and bigger. It's becoming a bigger deal across the board. WandaVision had exploded that year. So like Black Widow was about to have her own movie. So she kind of realized now is the time. Wonder Woman, Christ, it did brilliant in the cinema. So um, she was like, you know, I've got this idea. How do I, how do I get this? She, she developed it herself, brought it to the boss. He then like, Two or three months later, he sends a random text on Mother's Day or whatever it was. And he said, your pitch is brilliant on app or something like that. Um, and that was it. You know, fuck, a couple of months later, she's the women's champion. You know, you're, you're, it's, that's the craziest thing about WWE. You know, it can it can change overnight, you know. And she was one of those perfect examples of that. And it's it's been brilliant to watch her, you know, this, this last couple of years. Because, you know, 
years ago, she might have been seen as too short or, you know, too ethnic sounding, you know, accent, you know, to ever get to, to the double And for her to be there now, you know, nearly seven years is, is a testament. She's been a women's champion. She's just held the, the tag belt multiple times and whatever else. So, so yeah, I'm beyond proud. I'm delighted for her and, and long may it continue. Yeah, mate. Amazing. Do you reckon it was enough? No. One of the funny stories of Vince was uh, <laughs> he, um, we never uh, match. I wish I could remember what match it was, but like, after, like, he was, he was relatively hyped up. He, he told me something he, he wanted me to work on. I was like, yeah, no problem, will do, sir. And he fucking pulled me in, like, fucking yanks me across the desk. And he's like, you've got a really good future here. I want you to know that. And I was like, oh, shit, thanks very much. I never worked on TV again for him, you know what I mean? So I was the, the ultimate, ultimate fucking baby face there, you know? But uh, <laughs> so maybe he thought I was somebody else. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I told that I told that story to Sean Michaels. But he was he reacted like you did. So, that's, mate, that's so good. That is... So, that's so good. I knew I knew it wasn't personal with Vince. Like, I, like, yeah. but you know, it's just one of the, it, it comes out of time. And then, like, you know, I, you know, I'm sure people had a lot more personal problems with him. But for me personally, he, he was fine. You know, um, we had a really funny day where he was once playing fucking peekaboo with Axel and stuff like that. So, like, oh, wow. he can he, he could be quite affable at times. Um, and at other times, he would shut himself in his office and you wouldn't see him. And, like, you're trying to judge, you know, sorry, juggle a, a multinational company with fucking 100 people who all want your attention or whatever, you know, or, or more, sorry, then I'm sure it, uh, it'd be very difficult. But um, yeah. in terms of, like, in terms of working for him and stuff like that, like, you know, timing's everything and, and just the timing wasn't on our side and that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Talking a bit about Axel, like, mate, how's the rig on him now? Holy he's shit, some, he's, got him to shake. he's some Nick. Uh, he, um, the funniest part, like, I think Axel, like, any bit of downtime, I think he was able to really focus on on his diet and his exercise because he's always been like, a, you know, mad into his gym and his diet anyway, you know, as a crazy yeah. vegan. And like, he, um, I think with a little bit of extra time to himself, he just got himself in the position he wanted to. And, and like, I know that he was working with a trainer, and I think uh, Walter works with the same one. And you see the, the the benefits for both of them. They both look fantastic. So, um, yeah. so no, great. I'm delighted for Axel, and he's so happy. He just had a second child there, like, um, oh, and I'm great. just I'm just beyond belief, like, made up for him and his wife Tina. One really wonderful people. Um, yeah. And I, w- one of the things that I loved about um, about Axel being when he was in Orlando, like, you know, anytime we hung out, it was like, you know, no time had passed. You know, it was like. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we'd never, uh, and same when I ran into progress, it was like, it was like the conversation, I hadn't seen him in over a year, you know, and it, it feels like the conversation, you know, hadn't changed. You know, we're, we're just carrying on as if, as if it was, it was the same. So like, um, I'm hoping that we can, we can get, get in a couple of shows together, like, you know, over the next couple of years. Like, I'd love yeah. to team with them on, a, on, a, on a, I'd love if, if him and I could team on a regular basis somewhere because it's, it's a joy for me to be in the ring with him. It really is. And hopefully we can wrestle each other at some point. He can probably beat me up for maybe snoring or whatever else, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they do that tag league, don't they, in Germany or whatever. Maybe there's a chance there one day or whatever. Maybe one day. I, I think, uh, I don't want to ruin a surprise, but I think he, he has a cool partner this year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what I, that's what made me think of it. I think I think I saw something announced actually, but now I can't remember. Okay, it's been if it's been announced, even better. I'm not spoiling yeah. anything, but yeah. uh, yes, if you're in Germany, go and watch the fucking tag league. It's going to be wicked. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mate. Well, we, we've uh, we transitioned into the main roster, mate. Fucking one word: WrestleMania. Oh, dude, fuck. Like, tell me a bit about the. How do you describe it? But is it just like as magical as what we might believe? Been out in front of a fucking stadium of eighty thousand. I was. 
uh, incredible. The best way I can describe it is like, it didn't feel real, you know? And like, even afterwards I was trying to like compose myself and I'm like, just on fucking WrestleMania, you know what I mean? So, and then I had to get up at 8am the next day because we had investors coming into the, the performance center and we had to go and perform for them. So, <laughs> so I didn't even get a chance. Like I was getting invited out to the after party and I couldn't go. So um, <laughs> no, it was, it was amazing. Like I got told like two days before WrestleMania that I was going to be on it. And I'm just like, Oh, for fuck's sake. Like um, I'd only been there for six months. So like, and there's a hierarchy in NXT at that point. The, you know, there was a lot of bullshit when I first got there. Like, so I knew that some people were going to be upset about it. And some people were going to be happy for me. And it was a very cool, you know, I realized I was, I'd only just got there and I got the TV really fast. So I, I ruffled a few feathers and stuff like that. But in terms of my experience, dude, it was incredible. And like, I, I got to mix it up with a bunch of like future Hall of Famers and stuff like that. Like, and then a bunch of guys who I did end up, you know, working with on SmackDown, you know, I got to meet them there and blah, blah, blah. And I got, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with Shawn Michaels that day. He gave me a lot of advice leading up to that. And he said, try to take it in as best you can try to take it in. And, you know, that was tough because like, I'm always one of those people, like, I'm not, you know, trying to sound cool, whatever. I try not to be phased by anything because, you know, you can get hit by a bus tomorrow, you know what I mean? So like, you just try to like, get on with it you know what I mean and I've always been that way and like Sean actually said something about that to me he was like listen I know as performers you know we, we get kind of blinkered but he was like try to take it in as best you can and I did I remember walking down the ramp and um, my friend uh, Sarah Logan took this brilliant photo of me because you know I, I kind of went slower than you know I probably should have whatever <laughs> caused a pile up behind me whatever but I, I tried to take it in, you know, and there's a, he, she got this brilliant shot of me in the ramp, just surrounded by thousands of people. And I was like, holy fuck, that's, that's sick. So um, yeah. I think I put it, I put it on my Instagram a, a couple of years ago and I need to have a look at it again. Cause it was very cool. You know, um, and like, that was it, you know, then as soon as you get in the ring, it's all business. And like, you f- yeah. f- f- fucking around with Mark Henry and whoever else was there. Yeah. And it was, it was very cool. And you know, it was a good experience and, and they, they made me look pretty good. They put me in the final three and stuff like that. Like Gronkowski was this big football player and, and I like, I'm doing something with him and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, all that stuff is, is, is really cool. And like, you know, from a, you know, six months before that, you know, I'm desperately waiting for my visa getting approved and whatever, or nine months, whatever it was, get my visa approved and boom, now I'm on WrestleMania and like, you know, that's forever for the rest of my life. I can say I've been on a WrestleMania, which is which is incredible in front of eighty thousand people, whatever it was. And it was it was one of those things that like I never, you know, you want to happen, but you never think's gonna happen. And somehow it did. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. Mate, Ross is gonna wanna ask about like matches and stuff like that, like wrestling nerd stuff. Like I wanna know like more about like anything that we as fans wouldn't know. So like you played a lot of sport growing up. Well, I know playing sport that in cricket, there's like a real shower culture. Is there a shower culture in WWE in the locker room? Uh, is like Seamus trying to piss on your leg when you're not looking? Like, No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, honestly, one of the cool things about when I went up to the main roster was, so the New Day were like the, the best way I can describe the New Day, um, as, as talents, they're outrageously incredible, right? But as, as locker room guys, they, they, they brought us all together. And our atmosphere during that period was utterly brilliant. Like, you've got the likes of, um, you know, Brody Lee and stuff like that, who's this incredibly sarcastic and hilarious man, right? And you've got New Day, you've, you've got Rusev and Sheamus and all that who are really into football. So World Cup's on, for example. We're all watching the World Cup together. Like, there was a great bond in that locker room. And it was very fucking cool for me to walk into that. 
I'd love to tell you there was like a ribbon culture, but there, there, there wasn't, you know. But you know, don't get me wrong. We're, we're doing tech end tournaments every fucking day. We're there and, and stuff like that. And we're all like fucking getting mad at each other and, and elated one minute. And you know, we, we know who's been practicing all week and whatever else, you know. Um, and like I, I learned because I never really played tech. And I was a Street Fighter guy. So I learned um, from playing Shelton Benjamin over and over again uh, to the point where the two of us used to play against each other online for fucking hours, right? Uh, until eventually I was giving him a good fucking, a, a good scene too, right? <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. Um, and because uh, he, he pretty much taught me how to play defensive style. I never played defensive style in, in, a, in a video game. So like learning from him and then I'd go in and then use that against everybody else and whatever else. So I had a lot of fun. Like I'd listen, like were, were there days that, that sucked? Yeah, of course there were, right? But the actual locker room itself was brilliant. And I had a, had a great bond with a lot of those lads. We had a lot of fun together. We tried to make the, the days pass as, as best as you can. Uh, and we were all kind of driving towards the, the same point. I know, and like a lot of that comes down to who those guys are. Um, like, you know, I'll, I'll go to my grave not thinking of better people than them, you know what I mean? Between them, the Usos and whatever else. Brilliant to wrestle against, brilliant to talk to, brilliant to hang around with, you know, and like there's a bunch of others as well. Like Daniel Bryant, for Christ's sake, was, you know, he would come up with the most ridiculous fucking story. And, and that would be it. That would be our conversation for two hours about how he's going to fucking start a, a breast milk business or something like that. And that's just who he was as a <laughs> as a person. And I, I know that the boys in AEW are loving having him there. Like, he sits right in the middle of the locker room. He doesn't have his own one. You know, he's, he's right there with all the boys. And, like, you know... I, like having people like that there, and you know everybody's fucking talented in ring. You know everybody's going to bring it, whether they've got two minutes or twenty. You know what I mean? And like, it was a very cool group of lads to be around. Like it really was. Did you notice any? And this might be too much to ask, but did you notice many differences between the AEW locker room and the WWE? So AEW locker room is very similar to the NXT locker room um, because a lot of them are there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, but it, it was it was more relaxed. Like indubitably, like don't get me wrong, the locker room was never tense, right? But walking around, you were on eggshells a lot of the time on the main roster, worried about what you're going to say or whatever else. But in AEW, it was fuck. I was, I'm walking in there like, and I'm just doing doing one spot for somebody, and everybody's so nice to me and whatever else. And I was like. I mean, all these people who I haven't seen for, for fucking years, you know, and it was just a great energy. It had all the pomp and circumstance, you know, all the, the production of the debris, but it didn't have the, the, the bullshit, you know, and, and, you know, fair play. Listen, I know that there's been a lot of, a lot of news about AEW over the last while, but that locker room could not have been nicer to me. And that, that that's, you know, that's a testament to everybody there. Cause I, you know, I'm just a, a guy popping in for a one-off, you know what I mean? So, yeah. but it was really cool to see a lot of my friends and stuff like that as well. But it did, it was weird. It felt like NXT in a way, um, insofar as like NXT is a lot more relaxed than Raw SmackDown was. And, and I, as I say, that's not in the locker room. That, that's in the, the actual day-to-day walking around and traveling and everything else. You know what I mean? The locker yeah. room itself is, is, a, is a sanctuary and it, it was brilliant to be a part of. Yeah. Well, brilliant. That's good to hear. Some good news about AEW. Like you know, we're like I said, we're we're not we're not dirt sheet podcast, but yeah, it's good to hear some good news. Oh, I think everybody would love me to say, "Oh, this guy was a cunt, whatever else." But like, no, like <laughs> honestly, like everybody was even people I'd never met before. Like, were, were very nice, you know. And like, I don't really know how else to put it. You know what I mean? Like, um, but like in terms of like you know, seeing like Adam Cole and all the boys again was fucking cool. So like you know, we had a storied. Uh, rivalry in, in NXT and it was great to fucking see that all the boys like don't worry I'm just going to clip that up and just have you say Adam Cole then cunt <laughs> I could just tell 
I, I could say he, he's he's a handsome cunt if you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for, I'm always like this, that fucking handsome mate, cunt. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an Aussie where you you call your mates cunt and cunts mate. See. Yeah. And yet that is a big deal in America. People get really upset, right? And I'm trying to explain to people, right, in other parts of the world, it's both a good word and a bad word. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's just a tone of voice, mate. It's yeah, people can be good cunts and bad cunts, you know what I mean? <laughs> 100%. Or you, you can be a mad cunt, which is even the best. Oh, well, that's true. That yeah. is true. I left in yeah. Scotland. I understand the mad cunt. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and if we were ever going to get advertisers for this show, we are not now. That's 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, you never know, you know? Yeah, yeah you, you never know. This, I, I got a good feeling about this one, Damo. Hey, <laughs> you, you mentioned the video, the gaming and stuff. I'm not really into the games myself that much, but I wanted to ask you, like, sort of, mate, you you must have been in a WWE game, right? Like, that must so have So, we were cool. in, um, Saturday was the, the first commercial for the 20, 2K game, I think it was. Yeah, the 2K18. Yeah. Um, and that was, because it was Saturday, we used, used our entrance because it was the first time you could play as four characters at the same time. Uh, or so the first time you could play four on four, sorry, and they use sanity. And like, that's how we knew people are digging it. And it was one of the fucking coolest things in my life. Um, and then when I played the game and I'm like, I actually checked my own move list. I was like, and they've, they've found the fair play developers. They have found moves that I did on the indies like years before that. And like, I was flabbergasted by that stuff. Like they went really in depth on the research and I was like, oh shit, I haven't done that in a while. So I better fucking do it, you know? <laughs> that, um, <laughs> so that, honestly, that was very good. Cool. We did the year after as well. And like, one of the cool things, like, I'd get fans sending me screenshots and stuff like that of using me. And it was amazing because, like, you know, I played those games growing up. I, I remember getting Warzone and all the N64 stuff, you know, WCW versus NW Revenge, you know what I mean? Like, but even far back as that, like, I was talking to one of my mates, like, we used to go and play the arcade, the Royal Rumble arcade game and all that. Like, you know, thinking back to even before having consoles and stuff, we were playing WWE games, you know, so it was very fucking cool to be in a couple of those titles and, like, you know, that's something that like can never be taken away from me because you know it happened is there. Um one of my favorite stories though is um <laughs> so I from the the first one to the second one I was in, I wore a red kilt um that I wore for I think war games and that was what they used for uh, Killian in the second game. But they made my hair ginger as well. Um so whatever lighting that got taken on that day, so I went from dark hair to ginger over in between two periods and I didn't die I've never died hair right um <laughs> but I think it was because whatever light in the news I used maybe I had like I had really wet hair for for the the first one it was very dark and then the second one it was like fucking bright ginger killing but you know it was cool you know I do have a ginger beard but I never had ginger hairs so. <laughs> oh well you can't can't get everything 100 percent right you know <laughs> well, I'm bald now, so you know all that complaining about the fucking hair, you know. <laughs> no, no mistakes, mate. No mistakes. Ross, I'm getting towards the end of mine, but I, I've we, just got we two. What we, yeah, we wanted to ask about Drake Maverick, though. Oh God. I've just got two questions, but neither are about Drake, if you want to do the Drake one. I just wanted to, well, really, like, I just wanted to ask, like, obviously, we, wrestling should be fun, right? We absolutely loved it. It's like, at the time, it was our favourite stuff on TV. I, I wanted to ask, like, do you enjoy the more comedic stuff? Like, oh, mate, you are, like, I knew that you were going to be an eloquent, intelligent guy, but do you love it? Like, the comedic side of wrestling? Do I love watching it? Absolutely. Did I expect to be a part of it? No, not at all. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
because uh, you know I I played this stoic character. That's that was the word that Triple H gave me was was stoic. So getting to play the straight man to Drake Maverick as the comedian was was awesome. And then you know reacting to him, you know I had a lot of fun. Listen, that is a very similar to my real life relationship with, with Drake Maverick. Like I I've wanted to kill him. I've wanted to kill him. I've wanted to throw him out a fucking car window many times in in my life. Um, so being able to present a bit of that on screen was important and like you know you know we still are in a text group together and stuff like and there's days where i'm like for sick right but that's that's who he is you know he's this mental brummy you know i've known him for i've known him 15 years or something like that um and he's annoyed me for 15 years or something like that <laughs> right like obviously what one of the you know the internet's full of memes or whatever one of the great ones was the one you know nelson from the simpsons batting away <laughs> Uh, like, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Nelson and Martin Team Discovery Martin, Channel. Yeah, yeah that that was me and fucking Spud right there. Oh my god, yeah. that's one of my favorite. You know, Sims. You know, whatever Simpsons related wrestling of all time. Um, Ross, you're gonna bring it home, brother. What are what are your last couple? Yeah, so my last two were um, Tony Khan's known as like this long term storytelling master. Was he aware that you attacked Sean Spears to join Sanity, and was that why you you faced him, or was that pure coincidence? Maybe because he was calling me Killian, so fuck, I don't know. Um, he was he, he was like Killian. I bet you're going to get a great pop. I was like, oh, thanks very much, you know. And I was like, fuck, I haven't been called Killian in a year or whatever, you know. Um, so maybe maybe you're right, you know. Like he used to come. Uh, Tony Khan actually got us tickets to a fucking um, Jaguars game about six years ago. So I'd met him before, like, um, and Nicky had met him a couple of times because uh, he used to he, he would appear like um, every now and again. But like, you know, honestly, like. Uh, he was uh, he was very cool, like, um, and it was b- very bizarre because, like, to have like the leader of the company, you know, willing to talk to you was was you know, don't get me wrong, like, that's, that's not to disparage Vince. Vince had a lot to do as well. You'd you'd occasionally get some some FaceTime with, with with Vince by all means, but you know, Tony's ready and and there to talk to you. And I was like, oh my god, this is, this is almost hard to believe, you know. Um, but yeah, he was calling me Killian, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> and great. then lastly, um, was just to give you a big old pat on the back. Really, was that um. You've come back into the British indie scene. This past few months, we've seen you a lot of progress. We saw you have an amazing weekend with the Atlas title uh, tournament where you had a match against Luke Jacobs, which I saw on Cage Match yesterday. That, that was actually only six minutes long. It felt like it oh, shit. 20 minutes because you two oh, wow. beat the hell out of each other in a great match. I think when- he took like six years off my life for that fucking match, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> You then also had that amazing touching moment with Axel Tisha where you had your um, tag match with with your old friend Joe Hendry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Adam Maxted, fellow fellow Northern Irish uh, wrestler yeah. as well. One of the yeah. ones who I've got a lot of hope for in the future. I think he's he's really flying. And it's funny because, you know, I, I helped train uh, Joe Hendry. So being able to, you know, get in the ring with him as well was very cool. Seeing how... how much he's advanced. So that was a really cool match for me for multiple reasons. One with Axel, uh, two with Joe, and, and three with Adam. And, you know, Adam's become um, like kind of a minor mentor of mine, uh, mentee of mine, sorry, um, recently. And, and I've been very happy with, with you know, that entire situation was incredible for me. So, God, I, I, I'm amazed I didn't break down. I think I, I'm more broke down thinking about it later, you know, but that was a very cool experience. And, and just seeing how fucking good Axel is, like, again, like just proving it to my like all over again. How like I've always loved him as a as a worker, but he was just pff, next level that day as well. So yeah, his yeah. match with with Jacob at a super oh. strong start was unreal, wasn't it? Such that was it was sick. It was sick. It, I like 
that was one of my favorite matches of the year. You know, Luke's somebody who's really coming along. I'm actually wrestling Luke September yeah. 25th in Birmingham. Yeah. Um, and uh, listen, like getting in there with him the first time, he's laughably talented for, for his age. And I've always, like, I'd seen him on a couple of shows leading up to when I first wrestled him. And I was like, oh, boy, he's got something. And then, boom, there he is. He's 40 pounds heavier and he's kicking my ass. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have to bring me a game in the, in the 25th. I'm looking forward to it. Like, I haven't been in Birmingham in a good while. So um, it'll be a lot of fun getting back there. And, and obviously with, with Luke, you know, Luke's been a brilliant Atlas champion. He's been a fighting champion. He's taken on everybody. Um, and he's putting the belt on the line. So, listen, I've got the Avenger loss that happened with Spike Trevay, um, and I get Avenger loss that happened with, with, with Luke Jacobs. So it's going to be a very good weekend for me. And then we're back on the 27th as well. So I've been having a lot of fun to progress. The roster there is just incredible. It's such My worry when we all went to, to the States was, you know, who's going to fill in? You know, who's going to come through? Who's going to, who's going to stand out? And I think, like, we're seeing such a wonderful group of lads there in progress right now. And I'm seeing that in a lot of places I'm going to, whether it's ICW or OTT, you know, there seems to be, like, an incredible amount of talent coming through in progress. Like, you know, Warren Banks, you know, he's, he's injured right now, but him and I had a cracking match um, in, in super strong style. Like, and he's somebody who, like, I didn't know anything about it, you know, a few years ago, but then this last year I've been, you know, keeping an eye on, on progress, whatever else. And he's just seems to be going from strength to strength until he get hurt there. So, but like, listen, like there's, there's, I'm leaving out like 20 odd people here on the roster who I've loved watching recently, you know, and I, I was really lucky. I got to get in there with the one, two on the other month. Um, and all of them are super talented. Like, so I, I just feel like this, this current crop of lads, they all have a great attitude. Like the, the, the atmosphere right now at the Progress dressing room is wonderful. Like I, I wasn't really sure what to expect when I first went back, it, you know, and then after the first one, I was like, God, if it's going to be like that all the time, then this is going to be a cracker. Like, but then you're not sure if, if it was just a one-off, you know, was it the right people who were there? But every time I go back, I have such a laugh, you know, it's a good bunch of lads and girls. There's a bunch of really good talented girls there as well. Like, but the beauty is like every, every show I go to, like there's at least one, two, three matches where I'm just like, my mind's blown. You know, seeing Dean Almark there on a regular basis is, is incredible as well. Like, you know, the, the knowledge that he can pass on to people. And he was had this outrageous match against Takashita, you know what I mean? Or Takeshita. And then like even Chris Ridgeway, you know, outrageously talented lad who who's just figured out exactly who he wants to be. And like, you know, I, I remember Chris years ago, he was always very talented, but he maybe wasn't sure what his, um, what his style was. And then getting to see him this last few months, like... Pfft, He's scary in there. And listen, he was beating the shit out of me. So <laughs> um, so I, I got to see it up close and personal, you know. But listen, I'm really looking forward to getting in there with Luke Jacob on the 25th. You know, he's he's the he's the future of the business. And I'm very excited to see what he does with his career. Like, he's one of those lads, northern lads, who just nothing seems to phase him. And it's very cool to see because, you know, I don't know if I'd have had that kind of gumption that kind of talent even at his age. So what could he be like when he's my age? Christ, he'll be a world-class athlete by all means. He'll probably have an incredible career because of it. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting there with him, looking forward to see what happens next for him and you know where he goes next. Uh, he, he's um, him and a bunch of the lads are going to turn progress into a hell of a promotion over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be excited for it. And just one last thing was just to say that our friend Josh went to the Sheffield show where you won the title and he told us it was the best match he's ever seen live. So Oh shit. High Oof. praise indeed. I like if that if that's maybe the only show he's been to then maybe that you know <laughs> can explain. <laughs> no, that's uh, oh, that, that thanks very much. That, that's that's an incredible compliment and like one of the, the coolest things like 
you know, to be trusted, you know, as progress champion at all, when years ago I could barely get off the ground of progress, you know, I was, I was, you know, wrestling at the same time, I was ICW champion whenever I was coming down for progress. So it was difficult to, you know, to match up dates and stuff like that. So I never really seemed to, to get off the ground of progress. So to come back and have this incredible, you know, few months with them. And, and even like, you know, to the point where in Sheffield, we have that surprise victory, you know, it was an amazing experience. Great to be a part of. And like, you know, fair play to Chris Ridgway. Like he's this outrageous talent who no doubt will be a multi-time progress champion and, like he's already the, the you know the Noah Junior Tag Champion. I'm sure he's going to go on to do very well over there as well. Uh, I'm sure they're very high on him because he's got something special, and it, it's it's a testament to to progress that like you know you can go from having you know Gene Money you know entertaining everybody and having an incredible match to then you've got Chris Ridgway go out there and absolutely tear somebody apart and like and it all seems to make sense you know and you got Sunshine Machine here just having outrageous matches week in week out then you've got Owen Two One who are just slowly becoming the most overact on the card you know and then you've got you know like cause jim who everybody hits you know understandable you know uh, <laughs> understandable you know i did to sit beside them in a locker room i get it you know it happens you know there's a few times i was looking going you know but okay <laughs> um but yeah no it's it's a it's a wonderful roster and and you know i'm very excited for the future i think like coming out of covid i'm sure everybody was nervous because you know, how, how good was everybody going to be? You know, are the crowds going to come back? You know, what is people's interest going to be in British wrestling? And like, you know, with progress kind of leading the charge, it's it's limitless. And like, I'm I'm very excited, like, because there was a period where I was worried. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like the guys who replaced us in progress and ICW stuff, then they all get signed. So then it was like, oh shit, you know, who's, who's after that? And now like, it's fucking strong top to bottom. And like that, that's been very exciting. We, we, yeah, go on, Ross. I was just going to say that it, like, in terms of progress, like holding that mantle, when you did get that surprise win, you played a massive part in kind of progress having a bit of a boom there because when that got shown on social media that you were the champion, it absolutely blew up. And that must have been great from the promotions side of you. Uh, it was very cool. Like, it's one of those things when, when a, an import comes in, people aren't sure how, how it's going to be one way or the other. And I think, like, the way, Bridgeway went through everybody in, in strong style. I think people were thinking, this guy's going to have this incredibly long reign. And, and I think that's a testament. Yeah, of course. But it's a testament to how good he is and how it was kind of laid out, to how it was going to happen. So so to go in there and do the, the, you know, the surprise victory in, in Sheffield was awesome because now anytime they're on tour, people need to go because you don't know if you're going to miss something, you know? Yeah. They told me I was the first to win it outside of London, right? Which is which is cool. Um, you know, that, that seems to keep happening to me, right? It happened to ICW <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, um, all right, you know. Uh, but it, it, it was very cool because, like, going forward, like, you know, when they're in Birmingham or, or wherever they are, anything can happen. And, and, like, I think one of the main problems with, you know, fans right now, like, is we can be a bit lazy, you know, it's going to be on a network or it's, it's going to be on an on-demand service, but there's nothing better than live wrestling, you know? And like, you're, you're going to capture things that they can't put on the screen. They can't put on certain music. They can't put on certain entrances, whatever else, you know, there's certain, th- certain matches that don't actually make it onto the network for, for a variety of contractual reasons. So you have to be there live to experience that progress crowd because that crowd is incredible. Like, and I always likened it to being at a football match, you know what I mean? Because, if they like something, they're going to fucking tell you how much they like it. If they hate something, they're going to tell you how much they hate it, you know? And, and I love it. Like, and it, it's one of the things I miss the most from, you know, watching 
wrestling in the eighties and the nineties is, you know, the crowd did get lost in, in moments, you know, and as we become more of a cynical society, like that has changed, you know, like we can suspend our disbelief for a movie and then we'll bury it afterwards on Twitter, you know? And, and like the, the problem with wrestling is people bury it as it's happening. You know what I mean? In, instead of oh. just enjoying what's in front of them. So one of the things that, you know, I think the good things that came out of Sheffield is anything can happen on those tour shows. So if you're, if you can make it to those shows, make it to those shows, get out there and enjoy it because, you know, I've got a feeling that this, it isn't going to be a London exclusive story, if that makes sense. So to everybody who, who's going to be living across the UK, if you can travel to these shows, please do. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. We've said it so many times, like come and have a beer with us in Camden or wherever you might be as well. We're always there. I'm the six foot six Aussie down the back uh, at the bar, <laughs> propping it up. Somebody's got to do it. I cannot tell you how grateful we are. Like, we asked for an hour. You've given us, it feels like six. Like, I just cannot tell you. This is <laughs> you're lucky my wife's at work. That's what I'm just saying. She's yeah. at work today, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, I guess it's a Monday. Um, but, uh, uh, mate, just thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. And Ross as well. Like, hopefully next time you are in London or maybe we'll see you in Birmingham, we can have a pint. Uh, we'd love that. And obviously we welcome you back anytime. So, Ross, you good? Shall we just get um, Damo to plug anything that he wants to plug? Absolutely, boys. I just talked about progress the 25th and 27th September. So Birmingham 25th, London 27th, and then again October 23rd, I think, and that they're doing a bunch of other shows around them. But I'm back on the 23rd of October as well. So, And then uh, anybody in uh, in the Fair Isle, Ireland, I'll be doing a bunch of shows with OTT at the end of October. Um, it's the 29th and 30th of October in uh, Dublin, Belfast, and then again, Derry on November 5th. So for everybody uh, in Ireland, I'll be, I'll be over there. For our, our fans in England, whatever else, you'll find me a progress. The next two shows in Birmingham and London, and then again on the 23rd of October. And then there's there's even more in November, December. So progress have, uh, have, have made a big push to try and get me over as much as possible. And I'm delighted to be a part of that roster. Um, I understand it's, it's a hell of an outlay to get me in from America. So like, honestly, I'm going to be given as many bangers as I can on every progress show. And I'm up there against one of the bangerest guys right now in Luke Jacobs on the 25th. So I can guarantee you it'll be as good a match as my chest will hurt. we cannot wait thank you so much uh ross the boss casey you can always find us at wsbfun on twitter wrestling should be fun all one word on instagram i've been dom phil thank you so so much to big damo what a fucking legend thank you most of all to you dear listener uh we'll catch you in a week or so maybe for a shorter episode but i hope you enjoy this one until then though drink lots of water look after you mates Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.